Today on the Arts Report, we've got Arthur Miller's classic tale of religious intolerance coming to Studio 58. Also, a Vancouver version of New York I Love You and Paris Je T'aime called Visions of Vancouver. Plus, the film festival is in full swing, and we've got three interviews with local directors for films The Provider, Wait for Rain, and Comforting Skin. So stay with us. Plus, we've got free tickets to the trial of Judith Kay playing at UBC. Hello and welcome to the Arts Report for October the 5th, 2011. The Arts Report is your weekly fix of arts and culture news and interviews. My name is Adam Janusz and we are broadcasting on CITR 101.9 FM as well as streaming on the interwebs at CITR.com. CA. We've got a great show for you. I apologize. We are starting a bit late than, well, a bit later than usual. We always start late, but、uh, a bit later even than is normal for us. But we do have a great show for you. We'll be talking about、uh, The Crucible,、uh, an excellent production going on right now at Studio 58 over at Langara College. And、uh, we'll also tell you about Visions of Vancouver happening at、uh, the CBC. Studio 700, which is very exciting because it's the first time that I know of, of a major. Event, show, play in、uh, Vancouver to be done out of、uh, that studio.、Um, it's, it's where the CBC you know, does all their TV and radio work, but they also have this lovely space that is available as a, as, to the community, to the arts community, to use as a venue. So that's very exciting. Can't wait to see that. And of course, the Vancouver Film Festival is 
in full swing right now. It's in full bloom, and we've snagged not one, not two, but three local directors who have made films, um, films that are hugely uh, acclaimed. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, They've won uh, a slew of awards here and there, Uh, two in particular that I'm talking about. The third one, Comforting Skin, is a feature length that has just been finished. And I mean, like, just now. I spoke to the director about an hour ago, uh, which, you know, you'll hear the interview. And when I got on the phone with him, he literally just walked out of, of, like, the viewing room of having put the final touches on the film. So that was kind of exciting. So we'll get his initial reaction to his film, Comforting Skin, uh, being ready to go. I mean, that's got to be kind of terrifying, doesn't it? That you're in the program for VIF, you're there at the opening gala, and everybody's like, so is your film ready yet or what? <laughs> like, There's showtimes already, people are buying tickets, and here you are frantically putting it together. I would... I don't know what I would do. I'd have a heart attack and die if that was the pressure that I was under. But, um, yeah, not not so in this case. And we'll find out how how it's survivable. So, so that. But um, before we get on with the show, you know, we really should just get on with the show. I was going to um, rant about our lovely city because um, Visions of Vancouver, which we'll tell you about a little bit later on, um, one, it's, it's four short plays, a collection of four short plays, pieces uh, about Vancouver. Each one has a different story. And one of the stories is on the riots in Vancouver. And generally, it's it's a sort of tribute to life in Vancouver. And, and you know, when I hear, oh, a tribute to life in Vancouver, hmm, Vancouver, ah, ugh. You know, like, on the one hand, I love Vancouver, but on the other hand, ah, there's things about it that, that drive me crazy. And so I had to ask uh, Richard Wolf, um, who's put together this piece, and I had to ask him, like, don't you agree that it's that we all have this kind of... Do we all have this love-hate thing, or is it just me? And um, so we'll get to hear from him about that. And I was going to rant more, but um, but I don't have time to rant because we have so many great interviews, and actually they're, 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 each interview is, is a little bit longer than I usually um, have on the show just because they were so good. They were so good. So I'm very happy to bring these interviews to you. So we're just going to get rolling with... The Crucible. Oh, and before I get rolling with The Crucible, we've got tickets to give away for The Trial of Judith Kay. That is a Kafka-inspired show coming uh, already in uh, Theatre UBC, at Theatre UBC. It's already in uh, full swing, and it's on for um, at least a week, a a little while longer, so you can still get a chance to see it. Um, But rather than paying for it, why not call into our radio station and get a pair of free tickets for for Friday night, perhaps? Uh, So we'll be giving those away in about uh, five to ten minutes. So get... To get ready for that, have your, your dialing fingers warmed up, uh, give, give your fingers a stretch, and take down our number, which is 604-822-2487, and we'll be giving those away in about 10 minutes, so bear with us. But first, The Crucible. The modern classic by Arthur Miller is now playing at Studio 58. It explores religious persecution and personal responsibility. Jane Heyman is the director and also the sponsor, in a sense. She created the Jane Heyman Fund for Creative Collaboration to make it easier for professional artists to join student productions. I spoke to Jane about the show and about why she is an advocate for mixing uh, students with professional actors. But first, uh, here she is speaking uh, broadly about The Crucible. Well, this play is it's fascinating. It is almost 60 years old. It was written in response to a very particular time in American history, mm-hmm. the, um, the McCarthy trials and how terrifying it was for many intellectuals and artists in the country because suddenly they were in a situation where it didn't matter what they said, they were guilty if they were accused. Mm-hmm. And then and Arthur Miller as he was looking at this and, and, and feeling like he was losing his mind because ordinary people were uh, doing things that were crazy, but nobody else seemed to recognize him as crazy, uh, remembered having studied about the Salem witch trials and went to Salem, Massachusetts and did research. And so he wrote, then wrote a play about a very particular time in history going back another 300 years, but that had resonance for him in the 1950s. Well, the thing that hit me when I picked the play up and when Catherine Shaw asked me to direct it was 
how incredibly relevant it still is now. Hmm. I mean, all the stuff that happened after 9-11, I mean, you, you name it. I mean, it happens over and over and over again that people in authority make statements. They basically say, you're either with us or you're against us. Hmm. And to one degree or another, individual people have to figure out what they stand for. Hmm. And what I think is so... The easy way out in all of this is to blame somebody else, is to say, uh, well, you know, I was just following orders effectively, you right. know, or well, they ought to know so. So, and, and the way we do that is to demonize people, right? Right. So for me, what was really important was that while we, first of all, we have to tell the story that's in the play, and it's a rip-roaring, really good story. You mm. know, forget what anything else the play is about. It's just, it's a fascinating story. It's <laughs> all the more fascinating because it actually happened. Right. And although he changed things in order to make it more dramatic, he's writing about real people, and he did very good research. Mm. But I wanted the audience to be confronted with the same issues that the characters are and to really start thinking, well, what, what would I have done in that situation? And in order to do that, you have to have well-rounded characters. You can't have villains and, and heroes. And you can't, you know, you have to have human beings. And we all have good stuff about us and we all have stuff that we wish we didn't have about <laughs> us, you know? And, uh, and that's a fantastic thing about working on this play because he basically puts up a mirror for us to look at each at ourselves in. Hmm. So that was it, was to find the humanity and the vulnerability in everybody and to find the warts in everybody and then to let it play out. Hmm. And given that there's 20 characters in this play, yeah. that's a lot of work. That's a lot of warts. <laughs> yeah. And uh, tell me about that. Tell me about um, the, these young people that you're you're working with. Um, what has that been like? Oh, it's been wonderful. <laughs> it's a really group. It, no, it is. It really has been. They've been very generous. They've worked really hard. Uh, they've been willing to do anything. And um, and then the other gift. Well, there's 19 of them are students, and right. one of them, Anthony Ingram, is a professional actor who graduated from Studio 58, oh, I don't know, 15 or 16 years ago, and whom I taught when he was originally at Studio 58. Yeah, tell me about him. Act- why, why did you bring him in? Well, um, when I, I don't know if you know, but I, used to, I taught at Studio 58 for about mm-hmm. 20 years, and I left there six years ago. And one of the great experiences that I'd had when I was there was the few times when we'd be able to scrape together a bit of extra money to bring a professional actor in Mm -hmm. to work in a show with the students. And I saw what what an inspiration it was for the students to be working with a professional whom they were soon hoping to go out into the world and join. Right. Just added a little bit of extra rigor, a little extra excitement, a little, well, professionalism to the work. So when I left... I decided that I wanted to create an endowment fund that would allow the school to do it more regularly. So I created a fund, and a whole lot of very generous people joined me in it, and we've hmm. raised a chunk of money that now you know, makes interest, and we use that from year to, well, maybe not every year, but every other yeah. year to augment the, ex- the really excellent training that the students get um, at Studio 58. And um, the part of... Governor Danforth mm-hmm. is really tough. I mean, he's the oldest character in the play, and he has the most difficult text. Yeah. And it's not that yeah. a student couldn't have done it, but I thought having a professional coming in and doing it would just add extra weight and heft to the play. And also, then you've got somebody, I mean, Anthony isn't 60, which is what you're, what the character is supposed to be, right. but, you know, the students aren't in their 30s and 40s and whatever either. So, so you know, there's that age difference that that's just there. You don't have to work at it. It's yeah. there. So that's why we brought him in. And Anthony, you know, was initially trained at UBC, and then he came to Studio 58 after that. So he, is, he has um, a lot of skill. He's uh, he's worked all across the country, and he is particularly good at working with text. Mm-hmm. And although this is American text, it's really tough. It's as tough 
to manage the script as it is to manage Shakespeare. The, the themes that come up are things like conscience, integrity, standing up for something, um, and, and sort of being uh, a member of society, but seen through the prism of the individual and the individual's struggles. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, you know, that at the end, I mean, there are lines in this play that are just extraordinary. You know, John Proctor talking, who's the central character, the, the one who, who has to ultimately choose between whether he is going to be honest and die or tell a lie in order to save his life. And that's, that's a pretty tough and wonderful question to wrestle with. Hmm. You know, to tell you the truth, I don't know what I would do if I was faced with that. I hope I would do what he does, which is to choose to stay true to who he is because of his children, because of his family, because life isn't worth living if you're not living true to your values. But I don't honestly know. I know how it feels like in the rehearsal room. I know what it feels like in the play to face up to it. And that, I think, is one of the the great gifts of being an artist and of being able to work in the theater is that we get to try out all these situations and and turn them around and wrestle with them and and explore them. And we don't actually necessarily have to live them out in the world. (laughs) Thank God. We get to rehearse our lives, not (laughs) just the plays. (laughs) And it's pretty exciting. And I hope, I hope that then when the audience comes to the theater, because they're sitting in the same room with these characters, they're not just up on a screen or in a box or on a, you know, that, that the audience also gets to go through that experience. Am I on? Yes, I am. <laughs> there. Uh, the Crucible is playing now at Studio 58, and it is on nightly at... I'm gone. Yep, there we go. Sorry, we had some uh, mic malfunction there. But it's on nightly at 8 p.m. Tuesday through Saturday, and there are matinees at 3 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday, and there are no show there no shows on Monday. So basically any day except Monday, it is on either at 8 p.m. or on weekends at 3 p.m. matinee. Uh, this is interesting. On Tuesdays, they have uh, Talkback, Talkback Tuesdays, uh, which are $10, and those are back by popular demand. So tickets range from $12 to $22. It's the matinees that are 12 And you can get more information on the show and buy tickets by going to studio 58 Ca. You can also go right now to citr.ca, and there is a direct link to buy tickets there. So check out The Crucible at Studio 58. Okay, we're going to take a short PSA break. That means a public service announcement, if you don't know. <laughs> but uh, when we come back, we'll tell you about Visions of Vancouver from Pi Theatre. Um, and we'll also give away those tickets to see The Trial of Judith K at UBC. So uh, stay ready because it's going to be on after the next interview. So after we speak to uh, Richard Wolf, that will be the time to call in and get a free pair of tickets to see the trial of Judith K at UBC on uh, Friday night, I believe. So stay with us for that. Explain. Listen, if they're so hot, how come they're not tearing up the charts, babe? Because you never play them, babe. At CITR, our hosts choose the music they play. That means our charts actually reflect the tastes of music lovers, as opposed to focus groups. So if you want to know what's really tearing up the charts, get your hands on a copy of Beatroot or Discorder magazine, or go online to citr.ca. CITR's charts are based on actual spins motivated by actual preference. No payola... No marketing, just good tunes. Refreshing, no? Uh, 
And we are back on the Arts Report on CITR 11.9 FM and streaming online at CITR.ca. Sorry, we had some mic troubles now, but I've actually switched microphones now, so uh, that should be the end of that. Now then, uh, Visions of Vancouver is a collection of four short plays that reflect on our fair city. While certainly being theatrical, the show actually draws inspiration from the old tradition of radio dramas, and the performance will be turned into a podcast. The pieces deal with everything from the from loneliness uh, in living in sorry the loneliness of condo living to the recent Stanley Cup riots. As director, uh, as artistic director of Pi Theater, uh, Richard Wolf, um, he's brought together four talented playwrights to explore the many sides of this complicated place we call home. Now, to start, I asked him what he thought of the idea that we have that we all in Vancouver have a love hate relationship with our city. I mean, I certainly do, but. Uh, Maybe I'm not alone. But first, uh, here he is talking about the conceptual origin of Visions of Vancouver. The idea came out of a uh, conversation with Kevin Tetrobe, a um, colleague and uh, a friend, a board member. Um, uh, We wanted uh, to explore uh, the notion of uh, uh, the form of the old-time radio that's recorded in front of a live studio audience. And... uh, uh, what I've created here is a kind of a hybrid. It's very highly theatricalized, but we're exploring uh, the idea of stories without uh, a lot of physical movement. That said, we've got uh, you know great lighting, sets, costumes, all the usual things. So it's a uh, it's pretty cool. But the uh, the idea of the uh, love of Vancouver, the um, a sense of telling Vancouver stories came out of a, a love of the short form as well. I've always been inspired and I've always loved short films like Night on Earth, which follows a bunch of taxi drivers around the world, and uh, they put these uh, little movies together into one film, or Paris Chatham or New York, I Love You. And Sense of Place has always interested me, and you're right, you know, I sit, I, I sit here in Vancouver thinking, huh, if I could live somewhere else, where would it be? <laughs> and yet, I've been here 20 years, and I haven't moved, so that says something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think people have a love-hate relationship with wherever they are, unless they're extremely fortunate, you know, that yeah. they just love their city. But I would imagine New Yorkers have a certain uh, degree of frustration with New York, be it the, the subways, the it's hard to live there, you know, yeah. it's busy and it's packed. Um, and uh, I, I suspect that's common with most people and, and, and the place they're in. Uh, but I certainly uh, love Vancouver for all uh, the reasons many of your listeners probably do. It's a dynamic city. It's growing. It's changing quickly. There, it's comprised of wonderful neighborhoods. There's a huge range of uh, cultural diversity and a lot on offer in the terms of sports. And, uh, and uh, there are a lot of cultural offerings and uh, Obviously, food, you know, Vancouver's kind of known as a food town. So, uh, and I cycle around most of the year, which I love. And, and, uh, a community, I think, is a big part of it. That's another thing I really love about Vancouver. I want to ask you, what does, um, Visions of Vancouver say about the city? Now, taking into account that, that each story is unique and has its own, uh, theme, what do you think as a totality, what do they say about our city? Uh, well, you're right. Each one of them does have its own theme and it is unique. Uh, wonderful uh, playwrights, Dennis Foon, very well-known, uh, award-winning playwright, Kevin Loring, First Nations, Governor General's Award winner, Michelle Rimmel and her husband, uh, uh, Michael St. John Smith and Adrian Wong. They all ha- come at it from a different point of view. And I didn't, when I commissioned these, we didn't want to impose uh, a lot of restrictions. Yeah. So the stories are quite different. Um, Kevin Loring has written about his uh, response uh, to the hockey riots uh, last season, and um, it's a wonderful uh, artistic piece, kind of a uh, music for four voices almost. Mm. And he was inspired by this notion of, um, well, if uh, this wasn't us, then who was it? Um, Dennis Foon has uh, done a futuristic piece in a Vancouver where the sea levels have risen and uh, Stanley Park is flooded and people live in floating zeppelins that leak, <laughs> floating condos. <laughs> yes. So it's a, it's a wonderful futurist piece. Um, uh, Michelle Rimmel and Michael St. John Smith um, uh, wrote a piece about uh, two couple, well, t- uh, four, four characters. Uh, it takes place on the Second Narrows Crossing on the Iron Workers Memorial Second Narrows Bridge. And there's somebody who is... Um, on the bridge, perhaps thinking about jumping off. He uh, he was an iron worker who actually originally built the bridge. The other character is a police officer, and then there's a couple in a car that gets stopped on the bridge because of the incident. So they're trapped in their car, and the uh, two uh, the stories 
mirror each other in a certain sort of way, but they're very, very character-driven, mm-hmm. uh, and yet you'll recognize, uh, you know, the characters and the place they are in. Uh, Adrian Wong wrote about life in a downtown tower. Uh, she's been in town for a long time, but her character uh, just moved to town and uh, and ended up in a in a downtown tower and feels more isolated. Uh, than she ever did living anywhere else, even though she's in a building with 300 other people. She has to fob her way into the door and fob (laughs) her way onto the elevator, and she can only get off on her floor, and uh, and there's a lot of uh, restrictions. So uh, really it's about being in a in in a place in uh, in this city we call Vancouver, you know what is it? And and yeah, you know, as that cliche goes, there's eight million stories in the naked city. Well, it's true. <laughs> there are two and a half, two point two million people in Metro Vancouver, and uh, and although we're, we're individuals, we share we share what it is to live here and how we respond to place and, uh, and to and to what it. What it Sorry, and to extend the the cliche, um, Vancouver is also a very diverse city. So I guess these stories are as diverse as the city. But as the as the sort of curator uh, of these pieces, um, is there anything that you could sort of, um, you know, uh, anything uniting them? Anything bridging one to the other? Um, well, on one level, they're united uh, in form. We're, we're we're experimenting with form, with uh, with uh, the artistic form of the piece. Uh, but in terms of, uh, I suppose, in a certain sort of way, there's a certain sense of self-reflection mm-hmm. uh, in all of the pieces, um, uh, reflection, self-reflection that is tied into where we are, you know, how we deal with where we are. And uh, people have to ask themselves that question. I mean, you know, this is an arts report. Your show's an arts report. Well, the truth is that the arts have been uh, hit very, very hard in this province, and I know a lot of people that have moved away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're losing a lot of talent, right? And um, and uh, sometimes you know that's a response to what's what what you have around you. But people that that uh, that uh, live and work here and play here, um, you know, they they choose to be here, right? Yeah. And uh, and so all of the characters in the play have chosen to 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 make Vancouver their home. Hmm. Um, but again, you know, they have a certain kind of uh, uh, they have a certain kind of well, challenge to navigate. You know, the challenge yeah. of being. In a city, tell me about the the form. Uh, you mentioned it's it's it, uh, some inspiration came from the old time radio stories. Can you tell me what about that format uh, was inspiring? How, well, I, I love I love what words can do. You know that um, words can uh, create pictures in the minds of the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, that's an obvious thing to say. Well, I guess we experience that most directly when we read a novel. Um, but uh, you know, in terms of uh, this particular form. Uh, each show, uh, because what we're doing with these uh, pieces is we're actually recording them live for pod, internet podcasting, wow. and uh, and including the live audience. So um, each one is uh, it can will, can stand as a, as an audio piece. It will, you know, when 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 people listen to them, when they download them and listen to them, uh, they'll be complete as plays. And what the audience is getting is that complete play, but with the uh, with the add-ons of of uh, a wonderful set designed by Jürgen Sharpsal, uh, a fellow who moved here from Slovakia, actually. He's <laughs> uh, young set designer. Uh, and uh, beautiful lighting by Jeff Harrison and a sound, created soundscape, sound score, which will appear in the podcast, but it is very visceral live. Um, and a costume design. So it's highly theatricalized, highly visual, and yet quite still. So um, it, it's, it's not driven by uh, a lot of physical communication, uh, but it's painted with words. Uh, the pictures are painted with words and the relationships as and, well. And I imagine what that does is it puts more emphasis or sort of uh, brings more vividly to life the other senses, let's say. Uh, yes, I think so. Uh, because one of the really exciting things about theater, I mean, obviously, you, you know, you know this, uh, the film is uh, ex- really great at doing realism, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but theater is great at abstraction and uh, allowing audiences to, to, to create worlds in their own uh, imagination. And that is Richard Wolf talking about Visions of Vancouver, which is coming to CBC Studio 700, which is, of course, 700 Hamilton Street. Um, and there are two previews of this show uh, tonight and tomorrow night. One at 8 p.m. on October the 5th, that is tonight, and one on October the 6th at 2 p.m. And then the opening is on Thursday, October the 6th, and that is at 8 p.m. 
the show itself runs until October the 15th. And you can get more information, including ticket information, at pietheater.com. That's P-I-theater.com. And uh, in that interview, I had to chuckle when, when he was mentioning uh, one of the stories being about uh, Vancouver residents living in floating uh, zeppelins because the Earth is uh, uninhabitable, but then the zeppelins leak, which is just so hilariously Vancouver. It's great. Um, yeah, so, so check that out if you can. It opens uh, tomorrow. And Pi Theatre always makes great work and um, provocative work. So definitely worth checking out. Now uh, we're going to take a short break. Ah, but first we need to give those tickets away to the trial of Judith K. So if you want to see a play here at uh, UBC Theatre, um, you can do that uh, by giving us a call at 604-822-2487. And that'll be for uh, Friday night. You and a friend can go for uh, free. And, uh, okay, we've, got a, we've already got callers coming in. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we'll tell you about the Vancouver International Film Festival, so stay with us. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the UBC Westside area at The Australian Boot Company, Banyan Books, The Bike Kitchen, The Eatery, Fresh's Best Salsa, Gargoyle's Grill, Gumdrops, Prosson Music, Rufus's Guitar Shop, and the UBC Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. The Vancouver International Film Festival is back September 29th through October 14th. Celebrating 30 years of outstanding cinema, VIF 2011 will screen some of the best films from around the world in a 16-day extravaganza. Be sure to check out The Girls in the Band, a bebop documentary uncovering the startling history of female jazz musicians and all-woman big band music, and proudly sponsored by your comrades at CITR 101.9 FM, and The Family Jams, a lo-fi documentary about Devendra Banhart, Joanna Newsom, and Vetiver's 2004 North American Tour, sponsored by the good folks at Discorder Magazine. For locations, showtimes, and everything else you could possibly want to know about the Vancouver International Film Festival, visit vif.org. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. Congratulations to Nathan, who had quick dialing fingers and won a pair of tickets to see the trial of Judith Kay. Now, a little note about the trial of Judith Kay, or just about Theatre UBC in general, is that they have... Uh, they have subscriptions for students for to see four plays for only $34. So if you are a starving student but want to see good theater, then you can do so at Theater UBC by paying only $34 and getting to see four plays this year, uh, including, I believe, The Idiot, which will be done later this season, as well as Macbeth. So that's very good. And very exciting. Oh, one more. Motel series. Uh, George F. Walker's Motel series. So that's a good deal. And also Monday is rush seating night. As in for $5, you can get in, uh, you can get rush tickets. So check that out as well. Um, yeah. So just uh, look up the, the look up Theater UBC online and uh, find out more about their their shows and check out the trial of uh, Judith Kay. The website for Theater uh, UBC is theater.ubc.ca. All right, we've still got uh, lots more of Arts Report for you. We want to talk about the Vancouver International Film Festival, which started last Thursday and is still going on for almost two weeks. And there are tons of films from all over the world to be seen, including tons of uh, local films, and not just any local films, but award-winning local films. Uh, One that we'll tell you about on the show a little bit later is called Wait for Rain, and it's uh, produced and uh, created, directed um, by two local actors um, in theater, film, and, uh, and, and creatively all over the 
all over the, the Vancouver scene, and that's Kyle Rideout and Josh Epstein. And they got uh, Paul Gross, the great Canadian actor, writer, and director. Paul Gross, they got him to be the narrator for their film. So that's uh, very exciting. We'll tell you that about that later in the show. And we'll also, this is really great, we'll talk to uh, Derek Franson, who has literally just completed making the film Comforting Skin. And which is kind of hilarious because the first showing of that film, which is on Monday at 9.30, is almost sold out. So people have been buying tickets for a show that has uh, just been finished at uh, 3.30 uh, p.m. today. So how exciting is that? So we'll get his like, initial reaction. It's just like, it's just like he came out of, out of the, the viewing room and we just caught him right there and was like, how do you feel? You've just made a film. Um, not quite like that, but almost. So we'll tell you about that. But first... We want to tell you about a film called The Provider. Uh, Last year, a competition to make a short horror film in 48 hours yielded something perhaps unexpected. The Provider wasn't your typical B-movie-inspired gross-out flick. No, it was a smart and spooky tale of biological warfare set in a World War II parallel universe where Japan retaliates against the U.S. for Hiroshima. But then again, maybe it shouldn't have been a surprise, considering that Leo Award-winning director Brianne Nord-Stewart was at the helm, with acclaimed artist and recent Arts Report interviewee Andy Thompson was on board. It won overall Best Film at the 2010 Bloodshots Canada 48-hour filmmaking competition, for which it was originally made, and also went, it also went to the Cannes Film Festival this year, where it received the coup de coeur distinction. Now it's back home at the Vancouver International Film Festival, and I spoke with director Brianne Nord-Stewart. I started by asking how a film put together in just 48 hours can now be touring the world and winning awards. I'm relieved and happy and exhausted. Sorry, that's uh, not the correct interview. We want to play The Provider. Sorry, we will try that right now. So how does... Um... Yeah. There we go. Uh, I mean, when I went into this, I had no idea that the film was going to have such a high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I brought cinematographer Amy Belling on board, and she had just finished her uh, master's in cinematography at AFI in L.A. And um, so she's, like, solely responsible for the strong visuals um, and the team that she brought on the gaffer, Toby Gorman, who is um, in Vancouver right now. Um, And then like we had a camera assistant that she worked with, Mark Allen um, and Dee Thompson brought on um, the art directors and Nick Maracana, who he's worked with before. And like really it comes down to almost everyone we had on set is a professional and they were extremely dedicated to, helping us out on this film and since it was only one day that they were needed on set um people were like super willing and super into it and i guess believed in andy and as i as a team so hmm. so it definitely helps to have a uh, people who are really good at what they do oh absolutely like as far as getting something done quickly yeah uh you need like I, you need to have that to be able to pull off what we pulled off. And, and can you, um, just can, like a knowledge of the gear and, and how to work seamlessly on set. Right. And, and can you tell me a little in, in terms of how you use those 48 hours, um, you know, for maybe aspiring uh, filmmakers who want to do this kind of uh, 48 hour uh, format. Um, how do you, you know, how does that, how does that, uh, go because you get an inspiration package right so imagine in the beginning you really want to like hunker down and decide what you what the story will be and all that kind of stuff and then comes the filming and editing so can you break it down yes yeah so uh we originally got the inspiration package at 7 p.m um and we had our little writing and creative team um at like a home base and we phoned them and told them exactly what was in the inspiration package so that as Andy and I traveled from uh, the Celluloid Social Club in Vancouver mm-hmm. to uh, his apartment, which was our home base, they could start generating ideas as well as Andy and I in the car generating ideas. Um, and then when we got there, I think we had, we scheduled like three hours um, to write the film. So maybe for half an hour, we like brainstormed collectively. Um, and then we like sent, sent our actors our main actress, Gabrielle Rose, I believe she was there. We sent her home um, and, you know, wrote the film out in three hours, sent it to the 
production manager, assistant director to do the call sheet, and then Andy and I both called it a night, and we had maybe five hours of sleep or six hours of sleep, which <laughs> I think was super important for us, especially right. for me, um, just to be able to lead um, a set that was as big as ours and a crew as big as ours. Um, and then we shot for, I think, 14 hours. Wow. And as we were shooting, we had an editor um, downloading the footage and syncing it because we wow. used the Canon 7D, and then audio was recorded separately. So they were on set doing that. Um, and I had played that role in a Crazy Eights film um, like six months previous to that. So like I was familiar with that. And then after we shot, I had an editor uh, who was at my house in my editing suite editing while I slept again. Um, and then I woke up super early the next morning and took over editing. And then as I was doing that, at some point Andy came and started doing sound on a second computer. We had we had our music already. It was already um, pre-composed stuff by Jeff Timistruck. Okay. Um, and then he was doing that and the titles and I was finishing the film and then I was in the car burning the DVD and <laughs> in the video store burning the DVD before we were handing it in and it was really it was really down to the wire. Was it? So despite <laughs> yeah. all that really careful planning and editing while you were shooting, it still came down to the last second. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Wow. I didn't even actually get to watch the entire film before <laughs> we submitted it. Wow. <laughs> I hope you were pleased with yeah. it when you did finally see it. <laughs> yeah, 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 I was. And now tell me a little bit about the story and your, I guess, your your vision as a director, because the story deals with a sort of alternate history uh, around World War II. Uh, what did you mm-hmm. want to convey, or, or you know, what, what theme did you really want to sort of hammer home in this movie? Well, I really, I, I really wanted it to be more of a psychological thriller, and from my past films, which has been mostly comedies, um, I guess I sort of have a, a twisted sense of humor, mm-hmm. um, and so just this relationship with this mother and and her son, um, I really wanted to showcase Gabrielle's talent in sort of a sinister way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, like we came up with the story all all together, so I just wanted to to direct it um, as be- as best as possible and have something that was quite unique, um, which is sort of a risk for the Bloodshot Film Festival because it's usually gory um, right. slasher films, right? Which which I'm I'm not a particular fan of. Um, hmm. So yeah, interesting. Now. Uh- We've quickly run out of time, but I just wanted to get uh, a sense of how um, how it feels to now have been honored at Cannes and to be touring around. You know, now at the Vancouver International Film Festival. How does uh, what's all that like? Uh, touring with the short film is is awesome. You get to, um, I mean, being at festivals, you really get to meet your peers, and you get a sense of all these great stories that are coming from around the world, um, and from my experience traveling with my previous short, Trolls, um, they have definitely influenced who I'm working with and where I feel like I could work in the world mm-hmm. on short films. But that's one thing for me is that I don't want to just stay in Vancouver. I would like to make films um, around the world, and, and touring at festivals shows you know, shows you what there is out there and who you can collaborate with, and it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's very eye-opening in that respect, isn't it? Yeah, it's very eye-opening. Great. Well, um, congratulations on on uh, all your accolades for this film, and, uh, and and thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. And that is Brienne Nord-Stewart with the film The Provider, and that is coming to the Vancouver International Film Festival on October the 12th and October the 13th, so that's next Wednesday and Thursday. On Wednesday, it's on at 9.15 at Empire Granville 7, Theatre Number 2, and on Thursday, it's at Pacific Cinema Tech. The first screening is 12 bucks. the second screening is 10 and you can get all of that information at viff.org slash festival. And from there, you can navigate to, um, to write down the provider into search and find any, uh, that film and any other film um, that, uh, that's out there. Um, 
Also mentioned in in that was this film competition film competition excuse me called the Bloodshots and Bloodshots is on uh again this year and you can get involved um as far as I know I'm just looking for the the deadline to submit and I can't see it but if you go to Facebook right now and type in Bloodshots Canada you can get involved potentially with the next year's installment of the 48 hour horror filmmaking challenge and perhaps your film will go to the Cannes Film Festival next year so check that out the screenings sorry the filming dates will be from October the 21st until Sunday October the 23rd and then the screening dates will be on October the 27th at the Rio Theater. And then from there, you could win $1,000 for uh, the grand prize. There's also online audience voting from Monday, October the 24th until Friday the 28th. And uh, yeah, lots more information at uh, on Facebook. Just type in Bloodshots Canada and get involved in this year's Bloodshots um, Filmmaking Challenge. Alrighty, so we are going to take a quick break, but uh, when we come back, we still have two more. Oh my god, we're not going to make it time-wise, but we still have two more uh, films to tell you about at uh, Vancouver International Film Festival, including Comforting Skin and Wait for Rain. So stay with us. Friday, October 14th, head down to 560 Seymour Street and make sure you don't miss Vancouver's amazing electronic act Humans at their music video premiere party. These guys have been all over the continent lately and are making this special stop in their hometown of Vancouver to give a sneak peek of brand new material from their unreleased album. Supporting them for the night will be French house disco act Loose Shoes from San Francisco. Tickets are $10 at the door. Presented by WinnieCooper.net and Mint Productions. Proudly sponsored by CITR 101.9 FM. And we're back on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at CITR.ca. Next to Normal is a show that's at the Arts Club uh, right now. I believe it's at the Stanley. And it is getting some rave reviews, and it's only playing until October the 9th. So I would say get some tickets right now by going to artsclub.com um, because uh, it's getting some incredible reviews. Like, Next to Normal rocks the house. A new cutting-edge rock musical leave the theater feeling exhilarated that's peter bernie from the vancouver sun here's another one the best performance i have ever seen there's a theater show you if if there's a theater show this year you must see it is next to normal that's hummingbird from hummingbird 604 so yeah it's getting some incredible reviews so check out next to normal playing until october the 9th at the stanley industrial alliance stage and you can get tickets by going to artsclub.com Okay, uh, comforting skin. Uh, here's here, Listen to this. One night, Coffee gets a tattoo, a last-ditch attempt to imbue her life with excitement. But with the tattoo comes a mysterious connection that fills her life with taunting whispers and frantic desires. That's the synopsis for Comforting Skin, a, a world premiere film by Derek Franson, coming to the Vancouver Film Festival. This is his first feature film, but Derek has directed music videos, short films, and has worked on more than 70 television commercials in a variety of production positions. So I called Derek in his office um, about an hour and a half ago, at which point he had literally just finished the film. So, like a sports reporter sticking a microphone in an athlete's face right after they've just crossed the finish line, I had to get his initial reaction. I'm um, I'm relieved and happy and exhausted. I don't know <laughs> what else to say about that. It's it's, uh, it's a it's not a it's, they say another other um, other vocations. It's it's not it's not a, a sprint. It's a marathon, and and mm. one of the things that was making. Uh, a movie is you need stamina, and I've learned that, and uh, I'll I'll never forget it because if you don't have it, you're you're toast. 
Oh, I'm just, and I'm just happy to have it finished and now I can uh, get sick and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> right, because they say when you're, when you, you know, when you get through a big exam or a big project, it's then that your defenses are down and you get sick, right? Oh, it, it completely, I haven't been sick for two and a half years. I wonder, is it normal for a film to be uh, finished literally hours uh, before it's being presented at a at a major film festival? Or? <laughs> um, the common, the, <laughs> I guess the, the answer to that is kind of complicated. Uh, no, and yes, probably um, it's not advised. Um, but we, again, we, our project... We're everyone involved and uh, that, that has worked on this project um, has has wanted to do their best work. So, and because of that, we sort of we didn't necessarily go quick and dirty on some things, and you still have to. But it, uh, I we spent we have in the movie we have about thirty well thirty eight effect shots, thirty eight or forty effect shots, and. It that takes time. I mean, you can, you know, there's that adage you can have, or that um, saying you can have things quick, uh, cheap, or good, and right. you can have two of the three, but you can't have all three. <laughs> so we we knew we didn't have a lot of money, so it was not going to be quick, you know. Right. So, and that's and that's how it went uh, down. And and no, so no, we we basically wanted to. Our the last couple steps um, required us to sort of be very patient because. Um, the people that were doing the, I don't, I don't know if you know the process too well, but that did our final online and color timing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, very, the, the, the color, our, uh, our colorist is one of the best in the, in the country, if not the world, and he's just so busy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we could have decided to go with someone else, but we didn't want to, and that sort of leads to the stress of not having it done. And you go to, a, I went to a party last week for the fifth festival, yeah. and I have telefilm and this going so when are we actually going to see the finished film <laughs> we're like yeah i'm yeah me too i don't know i'll, I'll see it soon <laughs> so so like you were saying yeah. about a, a marathon you also have to be comfortable or well not comfortable but you need to work well under pressure don't you because you have uh like you say telefilm and viv breathing down your neck going you better have this movie ready <laughs> yeah you need to yes you definitely have to work well under pressure and you need to just stay centered I know it sounds quite zen, but you do. You need to stay focused. Um, there'll be tons. I mean, it's a, there's there's steps to it. When you know, as a filmmaker, there's the you know the pre-production when you're on shooting on set and then in post, and it's the same sort of thing. You, as a filmmaker, the, the one thing that I, I sort of say to other people, and it doesn't even it does not not just with the being a, a director, uh, you have to make choices. And the worst the worst thing I think people can do is to feel that there's a right and a wrong choice because that I know for me at least that can um that can um make me catatonic i mean basically i'll just seize up and not you know make not make a decision but if you go in approaching it like well i can make one choice or another and it's uh, that's just the decision you make and then you go with that decision most of the time um you can work with it and 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 go from there and rarely do you ever in my in my experience um i found if as long as i take the time to make the decision uh and and at least make it that i uh and not sit around and and twiddle my thumbs you just you you let it evolve you know hmm. and so that's the biggest thing with uh, the stress is the fact you just have to make the decision to either one thing or another. And if people keep complaining, you're saying, well, I've made that decision. I made it last week and it's done. Mm-hmm. We can't do anything about that now. Now where are we? we're here and we have to move on from this point. So, okay. Now, it's good. It's, uh, in, sorry. Uh, sorry. I was just going to say we're, we're, we're running out of time, but I wanted to touch a little okay. bit on the, the subject matter of the film. And, oh, okay. and uh, with the little bit of time they have, um, Tell me about what you'd want to get through to the audience, because I understand it, it, it has to do with uh, a tattoo that sort of takes a, a life, right. takes on a life of its own. So I imagine there, there's things about, um, you know, identity and, right. you know, and things like that. So, so, you know, if there's one thing that an audience member walks out of the theater um, with, uh, what would that thing be? Um, 
I want them to be taken on a ride or entertained in some way. Um, that's the first and foremost, and I need them to identify with the characters and mm-hmm. and and care enough to take that ride with the character with the character. Um, I I think thematically it's it's fairly it's fairly ambiguous. However, it's it's about taking. Uh, oddly enough, what we were just talking about taking responsibility for your own actions. My main character is a is a troubled young woman who's trying to get over past addictions, um, and uh, she does, she gets a, a tattoo for attention, and that uh, doesn't really help, of course. And it, it in a very low moment, it comes to life on her skin, and gives her everything she wants. It talks to her in her head and tells her she's amazing. It clears up all her blemishes, and it gives her renewed self confidence. Um, but at the same time, it slowly starts to wrap itself around her, and um, and starts to strip away her identity. It it tells her it can't wear certain clothing. It tells her not to wear uh, this makeup anymore. And it and it's like a bad relationship. But what it does is, as the tattoo becomes more self-aware and it develops its own more of its own individual identity, hmm. it it reaches a point where it it worries that it realizes that if uh, there ever comes a time that. Uh, the care, uh, the uh, the woman doesn't need it anymore. It won't exist. So it then does everything it can to make sure she'll always need it. So, uh, with regards to the main character, it's taking it's taking um, responsibility for your own happiness um, and for your actions, and uh, and not and as as this as the tattoo sort of starts to take her over, it's there's a point at which she has to make a decision on whether or not she's going to let that happen or she's going to take control of. Her. And that's uh, Derek Franson talking about comforting skin. Uh, we had a, a slight issue there with uh, the, the speed of uh, the clip, so apologies if you noticed a little, a little uh, hiccup uh, halfway through that interview. Uh, the film is on, on Monday and Wednesday, so October the 10th and 12th. But I warn you, the October 10th showing, which is at 9.30 p.m. at Empire Granville 7, is almost sold out. So get tickets online right now at vif.org slash festival. Uh, you can get tickets a little bit easier, or there's more tickets available, for the Wednesday, October 12th, uh, showing at 1.15 p.m., and that is at Empire Granville 7 Theatre Number 2 for $10. So check out the freshly made Comforting Skin by uh, Derek Franson. All right, we have one more story to tell you, and that is about Wait for Rain, another film at, uh, at VIF. Wait for Rain is a futuristic comedy where a warming planet has made water scarce, food rare, and accessorizing with plants fashionable. It's a short coming to the Vancouver Film Festival. It's already racked up some uh, awards, including the National Screen Institute Drama Prize, Bravo Fact, and National Film Board Awards. The film is also narrated by acclaimed Canadian actor, writer, and director Paul Gross. I spoke to producer Josh Epstein and director Kyle Rideout, two veterans of stage and screen. In fact, Kyle Rideout was on the Arts Report just a few months ago for The Great Divorce, which did extremely well at Pacific Theatre. To start us off, here is Josh reacting to all the awards that Wait for Rain has received. It was great. It got us started on the project. I mean, the National Screen Institute was was our first award, and so that was um, based on the script. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a package we uh, sort of uh, sent, put together, and, and pitched to them, and uh, that really kickstarted us. It came with like two weeks in Winnipeg, working with script editors and and working with uh, directors and speakers from across the country, doing everything like working on publicity and distribution and budgeting, and and Kyle got to work with uh, all sorts of different people as well, and uh, so that got us started, and then we packaged it up from there, and. And then by the time we got to shoot, we were sort of, you know, very well prepared for whatever, anything we could encounter. Okay, so that, that gives you a, a, a sort of boost, because I imagine it must be, um, you know, earlier on, it must be kind of daunting. You know, you have all this work ahead of you, and it's not like a play where you get to show it in front of the audience right away and get an immediate reaction. You have to, you know, do all this work to edit it and put it together and then send it out there. Um, uh-huh. And so, so it must be very... Um, must be very nice to get all this reaction uh, after the film is done. Yeah, it's kind of a, you know, the, yeah, both Josh and I have been working in, in theater as actors, and um, now working in film, it's an interesting thing, because the play finishes, you have this great experience with the cast, but mm-hmm. then it's just this kind of once, 
in the time frame of life kind of moments, which is the great thing about it, too. But with film, you know, it's really exciting to put all your efforts in and then to see it continue. And uh, my first film, which I made last year, is still playing. It just played up in Okanagan uh, and is playing in Bristol coming up in November. So it's Yeah, it sort of can gain even more momentum like that with that film. It's starting to get, like, Kyle's starting to get phone calls you know, that they want to see that film. So even before we get this one out there, literally like 10 people maybe have seen Wait for Rain. So um, we're very excited to open it up and, and open up in Vancouver so that we can invite all the cast and crew to, to be there with us. Yeah, and get some of that theater-like camaraderie, I guess. Yeah. Um, and uh-huh. uh, between film and theater, what, uh, what is the biggest difference between those two uh, media, let's say? biggest difference between the two well uh i think it's a it's got a lot of similarities with the collaboration of mm-hmm. the team um but i mean it's all just technical i think that's the, the biggest difference you know of, of how you create a theater piece you know you just have the the stage and the audience comes and participates in that but this you know you're you got all the technical side the editing the cameras and um you know the lights and how you shoot it shooting it out of order and then piecing it together in the editing room. Um, yeah, and Kyle and I, being actors in theater, we you know do an audition, then we prepare and we show up for rehearsals. And like from this point of view, as as you know, trying to be movie makers, we do so much prep before we even consider auditioning actors mm-hmm. or you know talking to actors. So uh, it sort of gives you the uh, a broader picture of what it takes to to present something. Hmm. Uh, Josh and I, when we first started, it was just he and I, you know, preparing this, and then we started bringing more and more people on. And then at one point, we had completely taken over this entire building. We had probably 75 to 100 people all involved on set. And then by the time we had all finished, it was back to Josh and I again, working (laughs) on all those aspects of it. Driving around this rental truck around the city and returning our last couple of pieces. But I'll never forget, I mean, the, the, that first day of shooting, Kyle and I just, like, because when we started out, we didn't know the scope of what we were going to eventually shoot, and we ended up with some pretty good fun 